0: Just like to add my welcome, my name is Mark and I'm the young adult pastor here at St. Paul's and as you can tell my hat is causing quite a stir this evening but it was uh, bought for me by Tess and Phil who went to Boston and it is a Boston Red Sox hat so I'm wearing it in tribute to those guys and also a bit of a um, sermon illustrator. Is this okay? It sounds a bit echoey. Is that any better? A bit better, Okay. the beard who said that Uh, okay why don't we start off with a clip roll the the camera video please you can mute the mic while we do this paragraph one what is the answer to 99 out of 100 questions money It's not over yet. It is for me, sister. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, man. I'm not in it for you, princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. Why didn't you just come after me? No, this is about me. This is about my money. This is about money due me, which I will collect. $3.7 million. And now, now, folks! It's time for Who Do You Trust? Hubba hubba hubba, money, money, money. Who do you trust? Well, how much are you gonna invest? Five thousand. Ten. Ten thousand. Five thousand. You needn't worry about your reward. Money is all that you love, and that's what you'll receive. For some folks, money's a foreign film without subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> and you're completely obsessed with treasure. Me? I'm giving away free money. Friend, some of your folding money has come unstowed. It's my nest egg, Jack. At my age, you've got to think ahead. Absolutely not. I'm a businessman. I love money, I love power, I love capitalism. I do not now and never will love children. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. No! Offer me money. Yes. Power too. Promise me that All that I have and more. Please. Look. Man, all these jokers have got a lot of money and it belongs to me. I want to know who they are and what they're doing with it. I'm sorry about that, man. I really am. Money does bad things to people. There ain't no excuse for it. Hey, talking about money. Money does bad things to people. I don't think that's always true. I think uh, money can be used to do great good. It can be used to pay for food, for water, uh, to pay our bills, um, and to do many great things. But I definitely do think also it has the power to do some bad things. Now, I just want to say, um, especially if you're a visitor here for the first time, um, we spend two weeks of the year just talking about stewardship and our money, um, we're not a church, who bang on about money week in, week out, but uh, today is one of those days out of the, the two in the year where we're going to be talking about money and, and how we handle it. We usually talk about Jesus, when in fact we're going to talk about Jesus um, today. So interestingly, Jesus talks about money and wealth more than heaven and hell uh, combined. He talks about money more than anything else apart from the kingdom of God. So that's quite, quite a lot of teaching there for us to, uh, to hear and to learn and be challenged by. Uh, so what does he say about money? Well, we're going to kind of do a quick little scan of some of the things. So it would do well for you to get your Bible or get your phone out <coughs> as we read through some of these passages. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at 19 to 21. And this is Jesus' teaching on accumulating money and wealth. And he says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. So here, Jesus teaches us that it's much better to store up your treasure in heaven than here on earth. The things that we gather on earth are only temporary, they don't last forever, they don't last for eternity. Material things, they have a use, but they are not really what matters here on earth. What matters the most is the kingdom of God, which is something that will continue to go on forever, forever, and that has much more value. He also makes the point at the end of that little uh, section that what we do with our money reveals what's really in our hearts. Um, how generous we are and what we spend our money, money on shows um, God where our heart lies and it, and it shows us as well. Okay, so if we move to verse 25, still in chapter 6, um, Jesus now speaking on the context of seeking financial security He says therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear is not is is not life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns Um, and yet uh, your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they can anyone Of its own. Okay, so this passage is all in the context of money and wealth and possessions, and Jesus is explaining that we are not to spend our time uh, worrying about having enough money uh, for things in the future. He doesn't want it to consume our life to the point where we spend most of our lives worrying um, whether we're going to have enough money to pay the bills, we're going to have enough money to buy a nice house, to, to get a bigger car, but rather trust that God will look after you and will provide the things that you need. So, sounds good. In reality, probably quite a challenge. Okay, moving on. Let's go to Luke 16, verse 9. And here Jesus is teaching us on what we should do with our money. Okay, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What is he talking about here? Jesus shows us that money is a symbol of responsibility. We are told uh, told by him to use money and our resources wisely, to both be a blessing to people, um, and that you are to demonstrate uh, God's love and mercy and compassion by caring for people's physical needs. Um, by your material wealth. This is so people can see God's love through your actions. So this is um, us having money, having wealth, using it for the benefit of others, so that they can see God's love and God's grace. Verse 10 goes on to say if you are faithful in the little things you will be faithful in large ones, but If you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? The better we handle our money, wealth, possessions, the more more we bless people with our money, the more God will give us, so that then we can give it out to people again. So John Wimber has a kind of famous phrase to summarize this. He said, God gives to us so that we can get, so then that we can go and give it away again. So God gives, so we can get, so we can give. Okay, And that's kind of almost summarizing just a little bit of that passage. Okay, the last one we're going to quickly look at with Jesus, and I'm rushing through these, but we've got a lot to do this evening, is probably one of my favorite interactions uh, that Jesus has, and that's with the rich young ruler. So, a young ruler is approaching Jesus, and he asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus answers, By keeping all the commandments. The young ruler says, Well, I've done all those, what else do I need to do? Jesus says, Okay. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then the guy uh, who asked him those questions left sad because he had lots of wealth and didn't want to do it. And then after this, Jesus turns to his disciples and has that famous uh, phrase, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Okay, I think sometimes when we read about Jesus and we read what he says, it can become uh, easy for us for it to be uh, died down, dumbed down, and sometimes you miss the kind of impact of what he's saying. But the thing that I find really interesting is when you Um, read and kind of hear the disciples' expression and their response to what he's just said, there's a big indication that he's he's saying something kind of big here. After what he says about it being hard for a rich person to enter, um, the disciples respond, well, who then can be saved? And if you take Jesus' words literally, then it kind of sounds like he's saying a rich man can't be saved because it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And the, the disciples' reaction, I find that really interesting because they don't, take, they don't seem to take the teaching as, oh yeah, that makes sense. They kind of don't really believe it. And what you need to understand is in the Jewish context, the Jew, Jewish kind of narrative, um, they're living in a world where if you have lots of money, um, if you have lots of possessions, you are seen to be doing something right with God. You're seen to be blessed by God. Uh, you seem to have um, God's favor. But here's Jesus saying, that doesn't actually count for anything. If you have all these possessions, if you have all this stuff, that doesn't automatically mean that um, A, you're doing the right thing, and B, that you're in, going to inherit the kingdom. Uh, the other thing, I guess, to note about Jesus and his sayings is that he, he was a great communicator. And he, used, he, used, uh, he uses um, figures of speech and he uses in this context um, something that geeks like Chris like to call a Is that how you pronounce it, Chris? Hi I need to read what it is because I always forget. Hyperbole. There you go. I knew the geek would know. <laughs> it's okay. I told him before that I was gonna rib him. Um, probably him. That's okay, I'm the one talking. So, back to the talk. Hyperbole. Hyperbole is uh, usually when we exaggerate to make a point. So, for instance, we would do the same today. If a teenager said to her mum, I need to go to the party because everyone's going to be there. Now, he or she doesn't mean literally the 6.6 billion population of the world is going to be there. They're just making the point. Okay. And here it is, kind of with Jesus, that he's making a point about um, money and the effect that it has on our lives, so much to the effect that not even a camel could go through the eye of a needle. Okay? Are you with me? Yes. See, that's not really the kind of Pentecostal thing that Chris was really talking about there. Are you with me? Hey! Okay. <laughs> Great. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to chuck a few of those later so that you can use that one as a practice and then you can respond. Okay, so why does Jesus spend so much talking about money in his ministry? Why did the guys who wrote the Gospels choose to take some of that, a lot of that teaching and stick it down in the New Testament? Well, I think a big clue comes from Jesus' lips himself. And we're going to go back to Matthew 6:24. You don't have to turn there. It's just a quick one. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Paul, when writing to Timothy, he opens it up nicely for us when he says, the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. And I think, you know, it's worth noting and and hearing that The problem isn't money, money is just a tool, Um, it's something that we need in life. We exchange money for parts of our life, our time and our effort. We need it to buy things like food, clothes, to travel, somewhere to live, to pay the bills, rent, mortgages, Um, even pay for things to enjoy like holidays and marathons and stuff and none of that stuff is wrong. Um, these, these things themselves aren't evil at all. The problem is is that as money affects so, much, so many different things in our life, I think the love of it can so easily creep in. And we are constantly bombarded by different situations where we have to use money for so many different things. And I think because we use money all the time, it can be quite subtle. The effect can be um, quite subtle on our lives. Um, We live in a a world that is obsessed with money, don't we? Having enough money, having enough to buy enough, all the things that we want, all the things that we need. And we live in what they call a consumer culture, where advertising is used to make a large percentage of the population uh, believe that they need to buy certain things. The consumer culture prays on our identity. The idea is that people's identities are defined by the things that they possess and, and the services that they can afford to purchase. You with me? Thank you. Meaning, uh, so, where have I gone? Meaning has become invested in things rather than, in, yeah, so meaning thi- in, in life has become invested in things rather than in our actions. So there is a perceived link between how many things we can own, how many material things we can have, and the degree of happiness that you can get. So as a a consumer culture tells me that my worth, my value, is in my possessions. I'm worth something if I've got, I don't know, an iPhone 5. I'm somebody if I've got skinny chino jeans. They're not jeans, are they? Skinny chinos. Uh, someone if I've got a swanky hat um, and so on and so on and so on and it's tempting to think if we have the right gear seen in the right places uh, can you know have the right car or whatever that suddenly that gives us value that that means we're somebody important and I think it's really easy to get stuck in keeping up with the Joneses I know I do this all the time so I have what I like to think is a classic car, an old Ford escort, over twelve years old. classic, thank you, probably not the most sexy car on the market at the moment. probably wasn't at its time, but that 's okay. And you know, I have to admit sometimes I do you know daydream about driving around Northfields in a nice bimmer or an Audi or maybe a Porsche or whatever. Um, and you know, in my, in my kind of daydream, I feel good because I'm driving a car that represents money and power, and you know, we have quite a lot of people at St. Paul's, so I'm sure one or two of them might see me in the nice car, and then I would feel good. The thing is, I'm such an idiot, okay? Let me explain. <laughs> that's, that's what I want, hallelujah! Hooray! Right! Perfect, that couldn't have gone any better. (laughs) Okay, the reason why why, why I'm an idiot, hallelujah, is because I've had three cars in my life and every one has been given to me for free. Okay, Uh, the first one or second one, I was at uni, I was commuting in every day, an hour and a half there, sometimes two, and then the same back. And I've been saving up doing my lessons, passed second time, did my theory, sorted. Then it came to the point of getting a car. I need to buy a car. It cost a bomb, especially the insurance. So I just prayed naively. I was like, God, look, you know, I'm in a situation where I actually do need a car. I could really do with a car. It's going to help cut my journey time at least half, probably down to half an hour. Uh, so I prayed my little prayer on my knees I wasn't on my knees Um, and then kind of got on started looking for deals looked on the gum tree looked on eBay and you know tried to find a couple of deals anyway I randomly got a phone call from someone I don't know saying oh hi you don't know me sure yeah what's your name Um, I hear you're looking for a car yes I am looking for a car Um, do you want to have my car for free how are you doing what's your name again (laughs) you know uh yeah, so met up with a guy, and basically, he got married and they had two cars, didn't need one, gave the older one to me and said, mate, have it, and that was a Vauxhall Astra N-Reg 97 blue hatchback, and I named her Betty. <laughs> but the thing is, that was, it was amazing. It really, really was amazing that this person had no idea who I was. It turned out he had heard through someone, through someone else at uni that there was this guy, who was, who was needing a car, and just out of the blue, he just rings me up, it's like, here you go, have a car, and it's a kind of a story, it's just like, I wouldn't believe that unless it happened to me, you know, and, and uh, so that's why I say I'm a bit of an idiot, because I think it can be really um, easy to forget the way that God blesses you in your life, and he's probably doing it way more than you can imagine, um, but there's one of my idiotic hallelujah stories. Amen. Okay, and I think (laughs) Yeah, I want to keep going So I think it's easy for us to get transfixed on our possessions Um, and again, I know this happens to me I have a bit of an addictive personality Um, I like my bike and I'm doing um, a cycle to Amsterdam Any of the lads here doing that cycle to Amsterdam? Woohoo! Yes, two (laughs) It's going to be great And I got myself a nice uh, spanking new road bike so I could do my cycle ride, although I cycled to Paris on my cheap hybrid last year. Um, And I've kind of got a little bit obsessed um, of getting all the latest gear, all the latest gadgets, so that my bike will be the best, you know? So, for instance, uh, I get the most expensive energy drinks just to make sure I can get the most energy when I so need it. Although last time I just did it with water and flapjacks. Um, I get the best pump, how sad is this? I try and get the best pump so that I can pump up my tyres quicker than anyone else in case I get a puncture. <laughs> I don't even need a pump, we have a van there with, with five proper pumps, and every cyclist has got a pump. Why do I need to buy a pump? I buy a pump. You know, I need the brightest lights just to make sure I'm, I'm as safe as possible. Um, and so on and so on, and, and you kind of get the point. I mean, I actually do think doing it on a road bike is a lot easier than my hybrid. And I wouldn't recommend if you do one next year that you do on a hybrid, just saying. But anyway, you see my point. It easily takes over. Um, okay, so I guess what I'm trying to say is the reality is the way this way of living is based on a lie, and it ultimately, that consumer lie, makes you bow down, bow down to your own pocket, okay, and what's in it instead of to our God. And I think. This is why Jesus treats money with so much caution, why he's so challenging, um, why he says you can only serve one master, God, or money. It's because money can so easily replace God as the center of our lives. You know, and, and in terms of the rich thing, I think the more money you have, the more tempting it becomes, the more easily it is for God to step out of the center and for money to come in. Okay, so the antidote. What's the antidote to the consumer culture? To not serve money or fall in love with it. Well, it's really simple. Too simple and pretty painful. Painfully simple, you could say. God says, give it away. Give it away. Be a generous people. And not only that, I'm sure you've heard at some point someone chuck in God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I know at first that can sound a little bit annoying, maybe, a bit patronizing. I know for me, I've I've kind of winced when I've heard preachers up here say, give it away cheerfully, just as I did. But what I think I'm kind of learning to do, and learning, to, I guess, starting to believe and understand, is that that really is the best way to live. Um, And not, not only that, that's how God calls us to be. So, God wants us to be a people who are generous. Of course, that's not just with our money, that's with our time, uh, with our words, but also clearly with our money. And we've heard a lot, uh, well, some of what Jesus says um, about money. And let's have a look at that cheerful, giving uh, comment that comes in 2 Corinthians Paul. 2 Corinthians 9, not Paul. Paul wrote the... Paul wrote the book or the letter, just in case. Uh, if you do have the Bible, do tell me this one because it's quite long and it would be helpful to read it with me. So it's 2 Corinthians 9. And let me just set the context before we read. Okay, so the context here is that Paul is writing to the Corinth church and he's reminding them how generous they have been and encouraging them and reminding them that they have promised to give money to the Jerusalem church now the early church had a head church um, where lots of the main decisions were made and money was distributed from there and the churches, other churches that had money would give money to the Jerusalem church and the Jerusalem church would then spread that money out so that the poorer churches would have money okay, you with me? thank you So let's have a listen, shall we? Okay, 2 Corinthians 9. I really don't need to write to you about the ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help, and I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm, hallelujah, that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I, Paul, am sending these brothers to be sure that you are re- really, that you're really ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment. If some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all, I told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this. This is a little parable. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in a response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And then we take your gifts to those who need them. They will thank God. So two good things will result from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. So there it is again. God loves a cheerful giver. For a moment let's just think about how much God has given us. How much much he's done for me and you. So Each breath we take, the clothes that we have, the house over our roof, the food that we eat, the amazing world that He lets us live in with the vast oceans, the magnificent mountains, education, iPhones. Not to mention and not to forget that He sent His Son Jesus for us to set us free. And to offer us that eternal life with him see we follow an outrageously radically generous God and he never stops giving even when Jesus was on the cross he continued to give what did he say to his beloved disciple John take my mum. make sure you look after her make sure she's well looked after he gives out to his mum even to the crooks or on either side of him, he has given them. He gives them an opportunity of, of life after death with him. How amazing is that? We serve a generous God. And he has given us all that we need. And there's nothing given to you that does not flow from his hand. As believers, we are to imitate him. He is generous God. We are to be generous. We are to be generous to, to those around us. And it delights him when we, we are generous people. You know, I think for some, <clears throat> some of us, giving money is probably hard. I know for me it is. You get some people who just love giving it away. And I've been lucky enough to have grandparents who, who love give, giving it away. And they've been a great example in my life. Um, I think you can learn to be a cheerful giver. And my wife tells a story. Unfortunately, she couldn't come here tonight because I was going to get her to tell it because she tells it better than me. But I'm kind of going to finish off with this story soon. Um, And that's a few years ago, we were kind of newly wed. And I was working for a builder as a laborer. And I was getting paid cash in hand. And we spoke about uh, giving money to church we were committed to to giving a certain amount and it came one month um, we didn't have enough to give to the church and to pay our bills or our rent, I can't remember which one and I didn't know this at the time but she went to church with the cash because I got paid in cash in hand and each month at the beginning of the month she would would put the money in the offertory basket and she was was there thinking "You know, God what am I going to do if I give this money to you we can't pay our rent if I keep it, we can pay rent. But we've we kind of said we'd do that. So what should I do? Should we pay half? Should we pay a little bit? Shall I give it all? And she was like, "Okay, well we've made this deal, God. So I'm going to give you all. I'm going to give you. All. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you." Um, amazingly, this woman came up to Laura at the end of the service and she said, "Laura, God spoke to me this morning, and she said I need to take my checkbook to church." And I need, to give my, I need to give a certain amount of money to someone here, but I'm not going to tell you how much it is until after the service. Um, after the service, she gave a check to Laura, and it was the exact money that Laura gave. And that was pretty nuts. So Laura came up to me, and she told me, and she was like, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. There was me kind of deliberating, you know, what to do. And she was just like, it was like, if I put half of it in, then I think that would have been written. And I, I think basically whatever I put, God was going to match. And it just kind of blew, blew our mind. And it was amazing. I remember now, it was the bills. When the bill came in, um, it was six quid. And we were like, okay, what's going on with this? Basically, we had overpaid on loads of other bills. So when this one came, they took off what we had owed them. We owed them six quid. So not only had we had our money uh, made up, but we ended up with more because we didn't have to pay the bill. We didn't know it was going to happen, but obviously God knew it was going to happen. And I think from then on, we were like, okay, we're going to trust you, God. We're going to trust you with our money. We're going to put you first. You kind of made that clear that you're going to look after us. Okay. Back to our passage. 2 Corinthians Nine. just want to bring out a little verse very, very quickly. Verse 10 says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. The farmer is the one who provides the seeds. God is the farmer. God is the one who provides the seeds. It's God's money. It's God's seeds. The point Paul is trying to make here is that what we have is God's. What he has given us, he entrusts uh, us as his stewards. And you could say, um, every week you get given a bag of seeds. And in each bag, every week, it's ten seeds. God says, I want you to give me uh, one of those seeds. So you have nine each week. Nine each week, it's up to you what you, what you do with them. But that one, I want you to give back to me. And I can't complain because it's kind of mine. So, you know, you can if you want. But the point is, it's, it's his seed. it's his money. And I guess I really felt like I learned that. <clears throat> with that story with Laura um, and amaz- I guess tying that in sometimes you might fill with those seeds that you have um, you might say okay I'm going to give this, this seed I have nine but I really need eleven I have nine but I need eleven if you trust in God you'll find that you'll get that eleven just like me and Laura got that eleven I didn't know how on earth it was going to happen but we we kind of went there and and he provided. And, you know, here at St. Paul's, we really believe that it's really good to be stewards with our money. And we think it's really great to invest in your local church. And like when Paul says, we think it's up to people to work out between God how much they want to give, how much they want to support. And at the back of the church, we've got some stewardship forms. The geek Chris is going to be at the back there to, to hand them out and I guess I'll just encourage you to really, really think uh, this evening about how you might invest and steward your money with St. Paul's. So we're a church. We do There's loads of different things going on. Um, this morning we heard about the impact that St. Paul's is having in Mozambique with loads of different churches. Um, and I'll just really invite you to enjoy, uh, to join in the adventure here at St. Paul's. People say, well, 10% that's an Old Testament kind of idea, right? It is an Old Testament idea. You look at the New Testament idea, the early church, they kind of give up a lot of their stuff, sell their possessions and give it away. Um, The the whole 10% idea isn't a rule, it's about putting in place uh, uh, a practical thing of, of being generous in our lives. And Yeah, I guess I would really pray that you guys really think about that. Okay, let's stand, because I know I've been talking for quite a long time. We're going to pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much that you, the giver of life, have given so much to us. hard not to be reminded of your grace of your love from your son who gave up so much for us and father we'll be forever grateful for that amazing gift and father I pray for each and every one of us here this evening lord that we would learn to be generous people as you are with us that we would learn to be a people of blessing for others around so that they would see uh, your face, see your glory, see your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be a people that can trust you, that can put you first in all aspects of our lives, even to the point of our money and paying the bills.